There's a variety of big questions in life. Forbes magazine has done all of us a favor and kind of dwindled it down to their recommended 35 questions that every human being has to answer. Forbes magazine believes if you can answer these 35 questions and allow it to direct you, you can find fulfillment and peace. Forbes magazine begins their experience, begins their recommendation by saying, first, are you being true to your own values? Are you being true to your own values? It's a good question, a great question, not bad for Forbes magazine. We're not going to go through the rest of the 35 questions this morning, but just a little bit of a picture of there are some big questions in life. And I would contend this morning that before you can answer Forbes' first question of, are you being true to your values? You have to ask yourself first and foremost about yourself. Who am I? What am I asking myself to be true to? And before you can even ask that question, who am I? You kind of have to ask the question, where did I come from? And therefore, you kind of have to ask the question, is there someone outside of myself that's more important than me? There's a bundle of questions in life if you want to get to the root of things. There's big questions like, did the chicken or the egg come first? Will Minnesota sports ever be relevant? I mean, big questions that all of us are wrestling with. But in all seriousness, we've got bigger questions. What happens after I die? Why do I exist? This morning, Jesus, in our Bible reading, though, brings it all down into one question for us. And so today we're going to reflect on that one question of Jesus and unpack it into three questions that all of us can reflect upon this next week. The central question that Jesus raises with his followers this morning is simply saying to them, who do you say that I am? A very simple way for you and I to reflect on that question is this, who do you say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? Why is this the biggest question for every human being for all of history? I want to share with you kind of two overarching reasons this morning of why this is the biggest question you will ever answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? The number one reason why this is the biggest question ever is because of the fame and claim of Jesus Christ. The fame and the claim of Jesus Christ. Obviously, Jesus is a pretty big deal. Some of you this morning are more dressed up than you like to be, right? And, and you're dressed up maybe because your family told you to get dressed up, or you're dressed up for your spouse, or you're dressed up for someone else. But at the end of the day, you're really dressed up for one reason, Jesus. Because Jesus is a pretty big deal. If you haven't noticed it, this guy Jesus has had a pretty impact, big impact all around the world. Our calendar, and how many of you are pretty big on the calendar? Right? We, we're kind of time people around here. Our calendar is what? Directed by who? Jesus. That's who the calendar is built after, is A.D., after the death of Jesus. Most of you, how many of you enjoy kind of those nice paid holidays? You know, half of those paid holidays, half, are what? Because of Jesus. If nothing else this morning, just take a moment and say, hey, thank you, Jesus, for a couple of days of PTO. At least give honor where honor is due, right? I mean, Jesus is a big deal. He directs our calendars. He directs the universe's calendar and how time has been measured. 
Jesus is a really big deal in that there's been more bloodshed over the name of Jesus than other, any country or nation. More bloodshed over the name of Jesus throughout history than any nation or any other political leader. So if you don't believe that Jesus is God this morning, you at least got to agree that Jesus is a big deal. But right now, we're fighting about Jesus. There's men and there's women this morning that are in the middle of a battle. I guarantee you there's gunfire this morning somewhere. And at the root of it is Jesus. Jesus is a big deal. He's famous. He's known everywhere. The number one selling book in the world is the Bible. Jesus is a big deal. For that reason alone, we should probably ask the question, who do you say that Jesus is? But it's not just Jesus' fame that makes him a big deal. It's also the claim that he made. The claim that Jesus made of saying, I am the resurrection and the life. You will not die. The claim that Jesus makes when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes all sorts of radical claims by saying, if you don't eat my body and drink my blood, you remain condemned. We could go on and on looking at different spots where Jesus just makes a, a claim that's radical. So you have somebody who actually has power making claims. They probably deserve a little bit of attention. I mean, there's crazy people all the time running around and saying stuff, right? Saying, hey, I'm a big deal. But then nothing happens, right? They just kind of fizzle out. The difference between the claim of Jesus is that he actually has the fame to go with it. You at least have to give him, on a very just humanistic level, a little bit of attention. And that his claims have carried on from generation to generation and from culture to culture. The fame and the claim of Jesus deserves our attention. That's one reason why we should answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is? But the second reason that we should answer the question, who do you say that Jesus is, is that you and I have a reality that intersects with the claims of Jesus. Every single person this morning, no matter how different we are, we have the exact same reality. We cannot sustain ourselves. I cannot sustain myself. Say that with me. I cannot sustain myself. If you don't agree with that, I want to see you afterwards. Because everybody actually agrees with that. Even Forbes magazine would agree with us this morning that we cannot sustain ourselves. We don't have the ability in and of ourselves to continue on in life. Science takes us to a point, but science has not yet conquered sustaining life. In other words, every single one of us faces the exact same destination. That destination is death. That's not a scare tactic. That's 100% reality and truth. And so every human being faces the same destination. And then you have this one human being who has fame and has made some claims about what? That destination that every human being will meet, that destination of death. And so you have someone who's made a claim about death, and you know that you're on the pathway to death. Doesn't it make sense that you would take some time and answer the question, who is this man who 
makes these claims? Who do you say that Jesus is who says he has the power to what? Solve your greatest dilemma. This man, Jesus, deserves our time and our consideration. And so this morning, who do you say that Jesus is? There's a variety of options for the identity of Jesus. In our Bible reading this morning from Luke 9, we see that the disciples threw out a couple of options. They said back to Jesus that, hey, some people are saying you're John the Baptist. Let me just kind of share with you why this is a big deal. They say that you're John the Baptist. Well, in the Bible, John the Baptist was just beheaded, literally. The, the king of the territory had said, we got to do something about this religious leader who was named John the Baptist, and so they behead him. And so now there's this man, Jesus, who's on the scene, and some of the Roman leaders are thinking, wow, has John the Baptist come back? So there's some people saying that because the power and the authority that Jesus is showing is kind of reflective of this one who they previously killed. So some are saying John the Baptist. Others are saying Elijah. Elijah, really quick Old Testament lesson. Elijah is from the Old Testament of the Bible, one of God's prophets or one of God's leaders for the nation of Israel. Elijah, what's interesting about him is that we don't know what happened to him. It just kind of says he, he disappears into the heavens. There's a variety of theories about what the Hebrew means about that. Did he die? Did he not die? Where's he at? But the Jewish understanding, the Jewish religion taught that Elijah never died. He just ascended into heaven. And so there was a lot of people that understood that before the big king was going to come, Elijah was going to come again and kind of be the forerunner. And so some people are like, wow, this miracle man, Jesus, this is Elijah. But then some people were like, no. This is just another one of the prophets. The prophets in the Old Testament were people who God sent and said, hey, give this message to this group of people, basically. Call them back to me. And so prophets would come with a message, but prophets also had a special power. That special power gave them attention so that they could give the message that God had given to them. So that's who they kind of said to Jesus. Well, hey, this is who some people are saying that you are. Well, those are three legitimate options. Basically, you can summarize all of those options by this. Those are all considered forerunners. People who are preparing the way for the expected coming king. So some people during Jesus' day thought that Jesus was the one preparing the way for the coming king. Well, what about in our day? Who do, who do people think Jesus is? Well, believe it or not, this is what's really interesting about our culture and our society is that Jesus has a 90% approval rating. That's pretty good. That's really, really good, considering how divisive our culture is. I mean, Jesus is well-liked. When's the last time that you heard a star, a politician, or an athlete speak poorly of Jesus? Nobody does. Why? Because they lose a lot of money when they do. Right? And also, though, their perception of Jesus is what? Positive. Because there's certain elements of Jesus that they want to hold for themselves and they want the people around them. So when Jesus says, hey, treat others as you would have them treat you, most people are like, yeah, I'll take that. I want people to treat me well. So they think Jesus is a good teacher. He taught some good stuff. 
Other people in our culture today say that absolutely Jesus is a, is a prophet. Jesus might be partially divine. A lot of people would teach that Jesus came from one of the gods and Jesus provided a pathway for a certain culture or sect of society back to God. And then God acted in different ways in other cultures. And so many people would recognize Jesus as one of many. And so for the most part, Jesus is seen as either a good teacher slash religious leader, or Jesus is seen as one of many kind of divine options. Well, C.S. Lewis has written a book called Mere Christianity many years ago. And in that book, he gets right to the point about the identity of Jesus, and he says this, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he poached an egg, or he would be the devil of hell. Let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. Very simply, C.S. Lewis is saying, anyone that says Jesus is a good man has actually not read what Jesus said. Because there's no way Jesus is a good man because he would have lied about some crazy claims if he's not who he said he was. So C.S. Lewis goes on to argue that you either take Jesus at his word or you need to subdue Jesus as fast as you can because he's a crazy lunatic. Those are the options really before us. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Jesus originally put that question in front of Peter, one of his followers, and Peter responds to Jesus by saying, Jesus, you are the Christ of God. Well, great. I mean, right? All of us are like, yeah, Jesus Christ, of course, you're the Christ of God. Well, most of us have come to think of Christ as the last name for Jesus, right? That's how it's mostly used, right? How many of you have ever, Jesus Christ, right? That's how it's used most of the time, right? And most of us think of Christ as just another name for Jesus. You're a Christian this morning. A lot of you would claim to be a Christian. Christian is just another name for Jesus. So if you're a Christian, you're basically just a reflection of Jesus. Well, Christ actually isn't a last name. We don't know. They don't think they had last names or middle names or whatever. Christ is actually a title. So the word Christ means anointed one, which means Messiah. So when Peter says, you are the Christ of God, what he's saying in the literal Bible, he's saying, you are the Messiah of God. You are the chosen one of God, the Messiah. I want to encourage you, one specific action step this next week, to help reframe your thinking around the person of Jesus. Whenever you say the word Christ, retrain your mind to say the word Messiah. Because Christ has really lost all meaning. So just say, instead of Jesus Christ, say, Jesus the Messiah. What an amazing claim that Jesus is making. I mean, he's saying to Simon Peter, that's right, you nailed it. I am the Messiah. This is a big deal. It's a big deal because everything in the Old Testament, which is a great deal of writing, everything in the Old Testament was building for one moment in history. That moment in history was when the Messiah of God now, for the most part, all of us know what a Messiah is. We use that language all the time, right? We use it in politics. Oh, the anointed one is here, the Messiah. 
We use it in, in acting. You hear it on the news a little bit. You know these 530 news, they're struggling for ratings, so what do they do? They take one of their top anchors from the morning, move them in from the 530 slot, and a lot of times they'll say, the anointed one has arrived, or the Messiah, the one who's going to fix everything for us. So a Messiah, a Messiah very simply is this, the one who's going to make everything right. A Messiah is one who is going to make everything right. And so the whole Old Testament is building up to this moment in time when God is going to send a Messiah, one who's going to make everything right. What do I mean by that? The Messiah was going to be one who restored God's order to creation so that the nation of Israel would be great again, that they'd have control and fame, that righteousness and justice would be restored all over the place. And so people had in their minds that when the Messiah was coming, there was a military leader coming because they had to restore Israel to greatness. So that's why they always thought of Jesus as the forerunner because when they thought of Messiah, they thought, well, it's got to be a military leader. But what people didn't understand, and we have the benefit of seeing from the backside now, is that God had a completely different plan. God was not going to restore order through the military. God was going to restore order through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, and the resurrection. Why? So that could go on for every generation for eternity. Because if God just sends a military leader, they conquer Israel for that time, but God still has not solved the greatest dilemma, death and sin. And so that's why his son Jesus has to die and rise again, so that the Messiah can truly conquer what is wrong and begin to restore everything and everyone for eternity. And so Jesus is making a radical claim. He's saying, I am the Messiah. And that's why in Luke 9, right after he's, Peter makes the profession, you're the Messiah of God, Jesus then goes right in and says, hey, don't say anything, which is kind of an odd thing, right? I mean, if you're a, a leader, you kind of want PR. And it would have been a big deal to people go out and say, he's the Messiah. But Jesus says, hey, don't say anything. Why? There's a variety of thoughts on this and opinions, but the, but the main thought process behind it is that Jesus doesn't want a bunch of rebels with knives and clubs coming and overthrowing the Roman emperor. Because that's a temporary fix. Because Jesus did not come to, to destroy life, but to give life. And so Jesus knows that he's on a journey to something different, the crucifixion and the resurrection. So he gives a foretelling here to his disciples that, hey, this is what's coming. I've got to be persecuted. I've got to undergo death and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. So Simon Peter just says, you are the Messiah, the one who makes everything right. Well, who do you say that Jesus is this morning? Jesus is claiming to be the one who makes everything right, the one who brings hope and peace to our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? Maybe before we even get to that, we have to ask our second question this morning. Then, And this gets really personal really fast. Who or what is your Messiah? Who or what is your Messiah? Everybody in this room this morning has a Messiah. Someone or something that gives you hope, 
that gives you peace, that gives you contentment, that gives you confidence, that gives you purpose. That's your Messiah. For some of you this morning, your Messiah is your career. One way to think of it is this. What's your currency in life? What's the currency in life that gives you energy and gives you passion? That currency is your Messiah. Is your currency your career? That if your career is struggling, you start to feel less of yourself and you start to sense worthlessness a little bit, less meaning? Or is your currency your children's athletic ability, their ability to perform and be engaged and be involved? That gives you a sense of meaning and purpose. Or is your currency your outward appearance this morning? That's where you get your sense of strength and stability from. Everybody's got a Messiah. Something or someone that's giving them strength or purpose. What's your currency today? The Bible teaches us this. That if your career is your currency, that if finances are your currency, if your family is your currency, your hobbies are your currency, that currency can't be cashed in at your moment of greatest need. And that currency will run out. Because at some point, you will not be able to do what you can do in your career anymore. At some point, you won't be able to earn like you're earning now. At some point, your family or someone you're in a relationship with is going to disappoint you. It's happened to anyone and everyone. Any currency outside of Jesus Christ can't be cashed in and it's going to run out. The Bible says it this way, to put it in very biblical language. Anytime you have someone or something that's the Messiah besides Jesus, you're struggling with idolatry. In other words, you've put someone or something in the place of God. How about you this morning? Who or what is your Messiah? Maybe identify that today and acknowledge it to God and say, God, I've trusted in this or that for too much of my purpose, for too much of my meaning. God, I've trusted in this or that to give me the ticket. When in reality, Jesus is making the claim that only he is the Messiah. Who do you say that Jesus is? And who or what is your Messiah? And then finally, what does it mean for you if Jesus is your Messiah? What does it mean for you if Jesus is your Messiah? If you still have your Bible open, let's look here in Luke chapter 9. So Jesus makes the claim. Peter makes the announcement that this is the Messiah of God. In Luke 9, 23, then Jesus lays it out and he says, well, this is what it means for you if I'm going to be your Messiah. This is what it means for you. Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Kind of weird language that Jesus is using here. Kind of this all or, or, or nothing language. But again, remember, Jesus is this amazing preacher. He's got the ability and he's trying to take the divine and bring it into human understanding. So he's using word imagery to draw us to the greater truth. He's not saying literally pick up a cross and carry it. The cross would have been known 
as an instrument of destruction, as an instrument of ultimate um, sacrifice and payment. And so the cross was used by the Roman government to subdue the most rebellious individuals. So the cross was an instrument of death. Cross would have never, never, would have, you would have been laughed at. In Jesus' day or before Jesus' day, if you would have put a cross in a place of worship, people would have came in and said, what are you doing? That's crazy. That's an instrument of execution. That's a symbol of death. What Jesus is saying to his followers is that if Jesus is your Messiah, guess what? You end up having to die to yourself. You have to lose your life so you gain life. Very simply, what Jesus is saying is this. When Jesus is Messiah, it's not about you. That's it. To summarize what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, hey, if I'm going to be your Messiah, guess what? It's not about you any longer. Because it's about me. I'm the Messiah. So very simply... To have Jesus as your Messiah, you've got a new mantra. It's not about me. It's about him. If Jesus is your Messiah, you've got a new focus. It's not about my comfort, but it's about his glory. Because when Jesus gives out the call, he says, if you're going to come follow after me, guess what? It can no longer be about you. And I'm like, wow, kind of rude, Jesus not very loving and nice of you as a good teacher. Well, think about this for a moment. Remember how big of a deal Jesus is. And when someone is or something is a big deal, does that someone or something even have to announce it and tell you that you are less than them? I've used this illustration multiple times. It's really touched my life a lot. When you go to the Grand Canyon and you stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, you don't stand there and be like, oh, I'm huge. I'm an amazing piece of God's created work. Right? When you're standing at the edge of the Grand Canyon, like, wow, this is amazing. You're not even thinking about yourself. You're not even thinking about how great you are. Because what? You're so overcome with the greatness of the creation in front of you. Jesus is just simply putting into words what is reality anyhow. That when you're with the Messiah, the creator of the universe, who holds all power in his hands, guess what? It's not going to be about you anyhow. You have no choice when you're in the presence of greatness but to say, oh, you are amazing. And so Jesus is saying, hey, Lay yourself down and make it about me. Because when you make it about him, but guess what? You actually get what you've been desiring all along. Peace, joy, contentment, and hope. Because now you have a currency that you can cash in. Someone who is greater. Someone who has ability. So if Jesus is your Messiah, very simple. It's not about me. Let me get this really practical for you this morning. If Jesus is your Messiah, this next week one practical thing is this. You might have to give up something of comfort in your life to benefit someone else. 
because Jesus wants to bless someone else. And many times it's this. It's God asking us to set aside the good things for a God thing. There, there's a lot of stuff. There's nothing wrong with, with enjoying a good hobby of pheasant hunting. But guess what? Pheasant hunting every weekend, two days a week, for eight hours, that good thing can become a God thing really fast. Spending all of your time cleaning your garage. A clean garage is a good thing. Just ask my wife. I mean, that's a good thing to have. But guess what? If you're spending all of your time cleaning your garage, getting every speck of dust away, when in reality, you could have been giving some of that time to mentor a child who doesn't have a father or mother stable influence in their life. Maybe you have to set aside the good thing for a little while to focus on the God thing. Because when Jesus is your Messiah, it's not about Today, three questions. Who do you say Jesus is? What or who is your Messiah? And what does it mean if Jesus is your Messiah? There's bad news that I would be dishonest and a bad preacher if I did not put in front of you today. Because it's not actually me that says it, it's Jesus who says it. He says in Luke 9, right there, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. In other words, those who do not call in the name of Christ as their Messiah and confess that Jesus is their Messiah, Jesus will not confess you as his when the day of reckoning comes. That's right from Jesus. So there's amazing things that happens when Jesus is our Messiah. There's a stern warning of reality of what happens if Jesus is not our Messiah. Again, this is not a scare tactic at all. Yes, you say that Jesus is your Messiah. This is simple reality of what Jesus teaches. And so today, will you confess that Jesus is your Messiah? Will you say that Jesus is the one who makes all things right? A couple of months ago, or maybe it was even a year ago at home, I was really struggling. Anybody ever get sick of their can opener at home? It's like the thing that never works when you need it to work the most. It's like pure frustration. It's like you're just using anything you can to open the can. I had gotten to that point, busted. So I put something on Facebook like, I need a good can opener. And usually it doesn't work this great, but the next day somebody showed up with a brand new can opener for me. Pretty good deal. By the way, what anybody know of a good van? Anyhow, that's beside, beside the point. This can opener, let me tell you, just a little publicity. This can opener is amazing. It's never not worked. And guess what else? You don't cut yourself anymore when you're using it. This can opener has made everything right in the McCorris kitchen. But guess what? This can opener will go away at some point. This can opener is just a picture. It's just an image. This can opener is amazing. Makes everything right in the kitchen. This morning, I'm not concerned about your kitchen. I'm concerned about your soul. 
What's making everything right in your soul today? Jesus claims that there's only one who can make everything right in your soul. And that's himself. When you say, Jesus, you are my Messiah. Jesus, be the one who makes everything right in my heart. There's only one who claims that they can make everything right at the grave. That's Jesus Christ, because he is the Messiah, the one who has conquered the grave. And so today, who do you say Jesus is? Will you say that Jesus is your Messiah? He's inviting you to. He's coming to you today and saying, I want to be your Messiah. So this morning, we're going to close this time of the message with a word of prayer. And I want to invite you today to say, Jesus be my Messiah. Jesus, help me function as though you are my Messiah. Jesus, make me aware of other things in my life that I've made a Messiah. Three things you could pray this morning. One, Jesus, be my Messiah. Two, Jesus, help me function as though you are my Messiah. Or three, Jesus, make me aware of what's functioning as a Messiah in my life. I want to invite you. I'm going to leave a moment of silence in my prayer. I want to invite you to pray from your heart and your mind this morning of where you're at today. Let us pray. Gracious and everlasting God, we thank you this morning that you have promised to make everything right. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus Christ to make everything right through his death and his resurrection. God, in the midst of this time when there's still struggle, there's still strife, and there's still challenge, God, help us to live by faith. So we come before you now this morning, God, asking that you give us the ability to walk by faith, to trust in Jesus as our Messiah. I ask right now, by the name of Jesus, God, that you pour out the gift of faith upon each person in this room. God, we come before you now as individuals, praying what we need to pray regarding Jesus as our Messiah. 